Hi, this is Tiffany Bova, and this is the What's Next podcast. And I have the wonderful pleasure of having my first guest named Tiffany on with me. I have Tiffany Pham, who is the founder and CEO of Mogul, an award-winning worldwide platform connecting women to trending content, including articles, videos, questions, photos, and courses, and then personalizes it to their interests. Mogul is visited by millions of women from over 196 countries and territories and 20,000 plus cities worldwide. Mogul was named one of the top sites for marketing your company online by Forbes in 2015. Tiffany was named one of Forbes 2014 30 Under 30 in Media, Business Insider's 2014 30 Most Important Women Under 30 in Technology, and also the winner of the 2014 Cadillac Innovator Award. She was also named one of Elle Magazine's 2015 30, 30 Women Under 30 Who Are Changing the World. She is the co-author of the book From, Strategy, From Business Strategy to Information Technology Roadmap, she is a graduate of Yale University and Harvard Business Schools, Total Smarty Pants, and has a new uh, book out as well. So Tiffany, welcome to the What's Next podcast. Thank you so much, Tiffany. That was a really lovely introduction and so delighted to be here with you and so honored to be starting our conversation with you just because I'm a huge admirer of your work as well. Oh, well, you know, I was joking uh, before we started, you know, recording the podcast that you just recently had a Wall Street Journal bestseller, so congratulations. Thank you, and so did you. So, And I was hoping we would be on the list the same week, two Tiffany's. We could have <laughs> rocked it. That would have been a first, I'm sure, for the Wall Street Journal to have two Tiffany's uh, on the uh, bestseller list for business books anyway. <laughs> so that would have been fun. So much fun. And at least we probably hit it the same month, right? The month of September. We did hit it the same month. We did. Good call. So we'll have to, uh, we'll have to celebrate that next time we're in the same city together. Absolutely. So much fun. So I like to start out uh, bullish and bearish uh, with my podcast with something I call bullish and bearish, which is an opportunity to just have some fun, ask some questions, just kind of get into the groove of the podcast. Uh, and so nothing too painful. So bullish is you're really for something. Bearish is you are against it. And then, of course, you can give a little comment if you'd like to. So are you ready? Yes, I am. Perfect. All right. The first one. Millennials would put down their smartphones in trade for their bills to be paid for an entire year. Bullish or bearish? Bullish. Oh, really? You think so? Ooh, I can't wait to ask about that one. I don't know if I could put it down for someone to pay my bills for a year, but maybe I could. You know, I think increasingly our generation is actually um, looking to connect more offline and increasingly growing wary and tired of social media and online connections. So I could see someone willingly and actually our generation starting to go in that direction of putting down phones in the first place. So for that to be even further incentivized by paying off your bills, absolutely, I could see that happening. Well, really insightful on the uh, millennials wanting to be more, you know, human to human uh, social, which I'd love to talk about in a second. So let's let's hold that one because that's a good topic. Uh, the next one. Are you ready? Yes. So because you have obviously a, an award winning platform, I thought this would be a good one for you as well. People would be more willing to share personal information online 
if it improved the service and personalization of what they were getting from the brand they were sharing it to? It depends. And I think generally I'm bearish on that statement um, just because the types of services that have asked for our data to date for such personalization haven't delivered the kinds of services and um, and goods that ultimately the person was expecting. And I'm, of course, referring yet again to social media, whereby people were providing their data for the purposes of um, of being able to connect with their friends, but ultimately were provided services uh, in the form of advertisements that took that data to better serve them ads, which is exactly why people were providing that data in the first place. So to date, the ways in which this has been executed makes me bearish. But in the future, of course, I do think theoretically that should be the case that as people provide their data, that it would help their personalization and provide them with better services and goods. That being said, because of the the terrible things that have happened across social media that um, destroyed consumers' trust in this area, it may have enabled or disabled you know that from ever happening in the future. Also, a great answer. So the last one is a little fun. So the are you ready? Yes, absolutely. All right, bullish or bearish? France will win the World Cup again in 2022. Oh, bullish. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a reason I asked you that question specifically. Maybe you can, you know, we can start at the beginning of sort of, you know, obviously you're in the millennial generation. You've won all these uh, wonderful accolades for under 30, but you came to the United States from France, correct? Absolutely. And so definitely have celebrated time and again whenever France has won the World Cup, in which um, you know, it has always been a really exciting moment for me. Yes, because I'm a dual citizen. I'm a French U.S. citizen, but did come from France initially. I grew up there and had a wonderful childhood in Paris, France. And now years later, did end up coming to America in order to attend schools here. And of course, have had an incredible um, journey here throughout America and throughout the Northeast eventually. But definitely always look back to my time in Paris as one that was really incredible, informative, and inspiring. And actually, uh, this year, I'm also a technology ambassador for France uh, within the U.S. area. Well, and you didn't just like, you know, go from France to U.S. You went from France to Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes, Plano. Which is its own, you know, its own, like, you know, everything's bigger in Texas, right? So... How was that transition from France to to Texas? You know, it was incredible actually being back to Plano this past week. Um, I was there uh, getting a chance to share the book with some audiences in Texas and Plano itself. And I remember actually um, my brother being back with me as we traveled last week through Plano. And we saw Texas flags everywhere. And we looked at ourselves and we were like, you know, it really is an incredible culture here. People are so proud to be Texan. Like they're flying the Texan flag, not necessarily the United States flag, the Texan flag. No other state I felt was totally in that same way. So prideful, you know, so, so incredibly proud to be from their state as Texas is, as Texans are. Um, so definitely as a result, I, 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 when I was growing up in Texas, did love Texas, just as my fellow Texans did, and also grew up loving the environment of Plano, which 
was uh, all about learning since in Plano at the time there wasn't as much as there is today. So therefore there were mostly just residential areas, housing, and also schools. So we spent just all of our time either like at back home with family or in school learning. And my class alone in high school was the size in my high school class alone of my entire college and university system. So very big classes, a lot of learning. And for that reason, I cherish that time as well. Well, so I would say that, you know, there's there's a lot that has led you to uh, writing the book, You Are a Mogul. Um, and it's And it's really just a fascinating journey. But, you know, what do you think the you know, one or two things, if someone were to say to you, what do you think shaped you the most on that, on the path of, you know, leading you up to writing the book, You Are a Mogul, but more importantly, sort of having the position um, and the perspective that you had so young, especially around sort of the topics and the platform and really sort of pushing the conversation forward, especially for this millennial generation. What, what would you say there are one or two things if you were to say, that's absolutely why I know I did what I did in writing this book? I think uh, around the time that I was in Plano, I saw for myself how powerful media could be for learning and education. I was, as I was mentioning, in school, but I actually didn't know how to speak English very well at the time. So I was listening to the radio and listening to Dale Carnegie audio tapes. And I was watching TV shows like Friends and I Love Lucy and Gomo Girls, which I'll explain later why that was so important to me. But later on, as a result, when I reflected back upon this time, I could see for myself again how powerful media could be for learning and education. And I never forgot that feeling. Fast forward when I was 14 years old, that was one of the main moments that determined the course of my life. It was the moment in which my grandmother passed away. That moment is the moment that I made a promise to her that I would do everything I could to follow in her footsteps. And I was going to dedicate my life too towards the same goals and mission she had had. She had spent her life working to provide others with incredible things from opportunities to information to just um, incredible love and warmth and support as well. She was highly beloved by those women in her society who were in need and, and was always, again, trying to find them opportunities and providing them with jobs and, and more. So she was an incredible maverick of her time, a mogul herself. And so that moment when I was 14 years old and she passed away, that was the promise I made to her that day that I would do everything to follow in her footsteps, no matter how hard or challenging. I was going to spend every waking moment working towards the same goal and mission too. So ever since 14, that's all I've ever worked towards. Then when I was 16, what further determined my path towards launching Mogul one day um, were the early scenes was when I was watching Grimmel Girls. I started to see that even though I didn't have the funds to visit college or even go to college, um, that maybe, maybe I, I should try because my grandmother, because I could follow her in footsteps. And one of the ways in which I could do that was perhaps to follow in Rory Gilmore's footsteps, who similarly went on to Yale to run the school newspaper, just as my grandmother ran newspapers in Asia. And so anyways, I started setting my sights onto Yale because of that show. And I ended up as a result, writing to Yale in my essay saying, I know I don't have the funds to attend, but if they would just let me in, I knew I could do this one day. I knew I could create this company for women to empower them and enable them, following in my grandmother's footsteps. 
So ended up writing those essays and lo and behold, they ended up letting me in on scholarship. So just like Lori ended up going to, off to Yale and running the school newspaper. Well, what's interesting in between that, that I, that you sort of glazed over um, and didn't actually mention, which I found really fascinating is that, you know, you were trying to learn English, you know, you're in an entirely new environment, new culture, new country, all of that. And in between all this, you like taught yourself how to code, <laughs> like Ruby on Rails, right? Like, what did you do tonight? Well, I learned Ruby on Rails. <laughs> like, so, you know, I think the the big thing out of uh, out of the answer to that question that you just gave is this was all this very deep seated sort of self motivation and um, really having the tenacity to say, you know, I know what this goal is, um, and I want to go get it, and and I'm not going to let what may be perceived as I can't afford to go to Yale or I, you know, I can't get access to this or that, or English is not my first language, like just to overcome it all and say, regardless of all the things working against me, I have the ability to at least control through education, what my next journey will be. Absolutely. No matter what the obstacle, always thinking about dreams and goals and, and finding ways to overcome that obstacle as difficult as that obstacle seemed or and thus as unlikely as that dream or goal seemed as well. And so, yeah, I ended up going to Yale, ended up going to graduate school upon watching another movie, which influenced me to apply to Harvard because Elle Woods and Legally Blonde went off to Harvard. <laughs> I ended up as a result working for all these incredible mentors along the way thereafter ended up working for ABC, HBO, CBS, but during the nights, realizing that I needed to know every facet of the industry possible that I hoped to be in in order to fulfill this promise to my grandmother. So I would take on side jobs and no matter how little sleep I got, I would just work at my side jobs and during the day work on my corporate job so that then ultimately altogether, I could have all the skill sets possible to make this dream a possibility, a reality. And then what happened along the way was that I started to realize that every single job, two jobs at night, job during the day, were ultimately enabling me to learn almost every skill set possible, with the exception of product and technology, um, how to code. I didn't know how to do that. And thus, I thought that was kind of the only thing left that I needed to really learn in order to at least start a small MVP, a small minimum viable product, a small version of the idea I had. So basically... Every single day I'd work with CBS, with Asian government, with talent in Hollywood and one and two and three jobs. And then finally at 3 a.m. I would have finished everything that I needed to in these three jobs. And then finally I would clear the kitchen table and teach myself Ruby on Rails as you were noting. And then after a couple of weeks, I had gotten through the first chapter of that very difficult um, software tutorial, uh, basically just to teach myself how to download the right software to code. I was really embarrassed about it then, but when I tell it to my CTO now, our CTO at Mogul, he always tells me, don't be embarrassed about that time period in which you learned that first chapter because that was what taught you the discipline to becoming an engineer. And ultimately, therefore, I, now I liken it to the wax on, wax off phase in the karate kid. Anyway, <laughs> ended up really there for honing in on chapter one. After one month, I was done with it. 
proud, done. Next, I finished the next nine chapters of that tutorial, we're beyond rest tutorial. And that took me just another week and a half because it was so much fun. I built something with my own two hands. And so after a month and a half, therefore in total, was done building the first version of Mogul ever. Overcame that obstacle from long ago, just as I was saying. And therefore was able to send that out to thousands of young women following me online, writing to me letters, asking for help and advice. And then it ended up launching and, and reaching women from all around the world, becoming what Mogul is today. Well, so, you know, along those lines, because I think, you know, the platform has just become um, you know, a, a, a huge opportunity for some, you know, 18 million uh, women around the world, but I'm sure it's not just women, but predominantly that, you know, do you think that there's something around the concept or the thought that many people say that one millennials are more educated than previous generations. So like you just completely double clicked on how you were self-educating and then from a schooling and education standpoint. So you're just this constant learner. So part of that, right. And more women have a bachelor's bachelor's degree actually than their male counterparts um, now, which is uh, unlike what it was sort of during X and boomers um, as well as like your grand grandmother's uh, generation. Um, do you think that that will translate at work with you know, sort of more millennials getting into, you know, leadership and management positions? I certainly hope so. And certainly at Mogul, we work in order to make that happen. But unfortunately, I think it's all too common whereby I hear that, yes, women have more bachelor's degrees now than ever, and even more so than men, and that we are, you know, more highly educated than others and et cetera incredible statistics at the education level, but somehow don't yet still currently translate into the workplace and to how we're represented across, leader, across top leadership positions and board positions and more. So uh, certainly at Mogul, we work to bridge that gap whereby at the education level, we provide educational courses to continue building skill sets that are translatable in the workplace. And then even furthermore, work within the workplace to help our company clients attract more female talent, ensure that they're um, providing them in an environment whereby they can continue to advance themselves and thrive as they are ultimately staying and reaching top managerial positions and above. That This is how we're structured inside the company, in fact. Um, ed tech and HR tech, helping again on the ed tech front by providing translatable skills, transferable skills into roles, and therefore then working with companies to then um, kind of continue a woman's path within the company to managerial positions and above at top leadership positions. So Mogul certainly helps to address this, but the reality is right now that it's not currently the case. Women right now represent just 10 to 20% of top leadership positions, despite what you said earlier about the fact that we are more highly educated. Yeah. And so, you know, for people listening on both sides of the coin, one, they are a leader who is looking to balance out and have more diversity on their teams. And 
you know, I'm a big proponent of diversity, not just being men and women, that diversity can be generational. This is the first time five generations are actually in the workforce, in the history of sort of workforces. So you've got diversity on generations, you've got diversity on, you know, English is not your first language, it is your first language. It's, you know, uh, as well as personality types, like, you know, introverts and extroverts, it's thinking styles, you know, some are quiet thinkers, I need to mull it over, others are just, they think really quick on their feet. So I mean, diversity all up right? So if you're a leader listening to this and you actually are looking to diversify from a generational standpoint and balance out maybe this, you know, people who are on my team have worked here for 10 plus years. And I, and if we're trying to target the millennial audience with the product and service we sell, we probably should have some millennials on the management team, or at least on the product development team or on the marketing team or on the sales team. What, what would you give them as advice to attract millennials to want to work either on your team. So maybe they're somewhere else in the company or just to work at your company altogether. So we actually just conducted a survey of millennials from within our user base and uh, within that millennial user base, a significant percentage majority actually said that the ways in which they would decide uh, about where they wanted to work next was based on the employer's workplace and culture. So it wasn't necessarily, again, about the job itself or even about the pay, though that did sometimes come up in answers. The majority of that statistic, the majority of those uh, millennials who are part of our user base and who responded to our question on this actually mentioned that it was workplace culture. And the associated policies, processes so that ultimately enable that culture to thrive and for them to thrive within that culture. So how can a employer work on this? Essentially working on communicating what their culture is so as to attract the right talent for them um, and to ensure that millennial talent knows too that this employer cares about their perception, cares about um, what they do authentically and therefore can connect with the right talent, uh, millennial talent. How can they do this? Employer branding. Um, they can essentially ensure that they're on the right platforms showcasing their employer brand. We certainly do that for many of our partners at Mogo as they have profiles through which they can share more about their mission, their culture, their values, their benefits, why they support women in the workplace and more. And then they can, of course, do that through many other platforms as well that we consider uh, complementary to us, such as LinkedIn, um, which skews older male, older male, but still millennial to some degree at the t at the kind of beginning end of the tail end of a, a millennial age group, if you know what I mean. Like the essentially the latter age group is ultimately the beginning of their age range on LinkedIn. Um, and so, and Mogul skews younger women. So it's very complimentary for companies to expand on their employer branding across both platforms. Yeah. And in my book, actually, Growth IQ, I, I did a, my last chapter was on sort of doing well by doing good and sort of purpose before profit and how companies are starting to pivot towards that. Um, not only because it's just good business and it's good to be good stewards of the fact that we live in this world with each other. And so how do we just be better at that? But more importantly, uh, millennials have said pretty overwhelmingly that they want to work with, work for, and consume from brands that align to their own sort of social consciousness and values, which is very different, right? I only want to work at a company that 
aligns to my values, or I want to buy from a brand that aligns to my values. So that's really forcing uh, many um, long-term brands to rethink that very point you just made about like, what is the brand? What does it stand for? You know, what is your culture? It's like, that's a big question. Like, actually, what is your culture? Because <laughs> some people may not actually have, especially on the smaller business side, maybe small office, home office, entrepreneur, like, what is my culture? I have four employees. Like, what is my culture? I have 40, I have 400, I have 4,000. Like, can you even answer that? And I think um, to everything you just said, if you're going to try to get some diversity on your teams around those millennials and, and millennials in big quotes, um, uh, that you need to think about that they're very interested in culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the case whereby now customers of the company are actually its future talent. Future talent is our customers now. And so as a result, employer branding is extremely important to be able to communicate someone's workplace and culture to the right future talent, to the right future customers. Um, and so I think, yeah, we see that increasing importance. We see that therefore trend and have been trying to help companies be able to authentically communicate their culture in this way. And you're right. Sometimes they're not aware of what that culture is. So we have to help them really think through what are their pillars right now? What are they concentrating on? So as to help them craft that. Um, and help them to effectively communicate who they are to this future talent. But yes, millennials are so excited to not only you know work for companies with whom they have aligned with which they have aligned values, but a company that's also um, very strong on mission that has something that they're working towards for global impact. I think that's one of the most important things for millennials today is that possibility that something that they're working on can create global good, social impact, global impact. And so the more that some a company can not only communicate about itself in this way, but um, also be able to, uh, in displaying its employer brand, also showcase how they're creating global impact, um, it's grown increasingly important. Well, you know, there's many marketers out there who, and, and I hear, you know, you and I, often speak around the world and we talk at conferences and there's sort of this backlash now that I'm hearing around, you know, giving this huge swath demographic of millennials want this, right. And boomers want this and X wants this and Z wants this. And, you know, and millennials being sort of digital natives, I call myself a digital immigrant. I'm a little older than you. Uh, I didn't get my first cell phone and laptop until I was 19 and I was really early. So this is in uh, 1985. So super early. I had a dual disk drive, floppy disk, word perfect NEC laptop that weighed about 10 pounds um, in college. Uh, and my first cell phone was actually mounted in my car. Um, and so I was a little early. But you know, you now hear marketers say there are all kinds of generations that behave like a millennial as it relates to social, as it relates to like wanting to, I mean, the reason I joined Salesforce in full transparency was because when I attend the Dreamforce event, which is our annual conference, like it, I left wanting to be a better human being. That's a very value-based sort of aligned to my value decision of where I wanted to work next. That sounds very millennial, right? I'm very active on social. That sounds very millennial. So, you know, what do you say to people who say, look, you know, just carving out millennials as being so hyper unique that you have to rethink everything you do from a marketing and selling perspective. 
does a disservice to the other generations that may behave similarly to them in certain areas, not everything, but in certain areas. Yes, I think it is important to think about millennials as a different segment. Um, There are too many distinguishing characteristics between millennials and older or younger generations to consider them all together. And just as you know, you sell a product differently when you're communicating to different customer bases, to different customer segments, you want to consider millennials in a different light too, um, as you attract them as future talent or as future customers as well. Um, I think their distinguishing characteristics are again, um, wanting to ensure that they're working at or shopping from a company that's mission-oriented through which, therefore, their contributions will create global impact, that they want to ensure that their values are aligned with anywhere or anything that they're associated with. Um, And ultimately, uh, that translates um, for business, and this translates into a number of different facets for a business, from how, again, they communicate their inside to how they communicate on the outside. And so what can people learn? You know, I think, you know, I think I I agree with you. I mean, I think there are certain things that are very generational, but I feel like technology is starting to erase some of that as more and more people become more and more comfortable with technology. Um, But it doesn't change the fact that you were raised on technology, like you're learning Ruby on Rails at, you know, whatever age and you're learning online, which was never something I could do, you know, when I was 14. so, you know, ultimately there's going to be some advantage uh, and uniqueness, but I think there's also something to be said for uh, taking a portion of what everybody shares now, which I think your platform is a great opportunity, not just for millennial women, but for women in general as well, you know, to go and share and be in a community that has like-minded thinking and everyone's trying to, you know, raise the awareness and, and goodness and value and um, information consumption evenly, uh, regardless of where you are in the world. When we developed out our features and um, and certain characteristics about the platform, we had women in mind. Of course, the way we in which we message the platform are very much you know ensuring that it's going to be um, an inclusive environment for women. But as as you're highlighting, we're not exclusive. So we're inclusive towards women, but we never exclude outside. You know, we never exclude those beyond women. So therefore, we're all inclusive with women at our core, but ensuring that it's a powerful platform for anyone involved as they communicate with women on our platform, converse, ultimately find opportunities together, as well as provide opportunities back if this happens to be a partner, to ultimately learning together through our educational resources and from one another. Um, so absolutely, no matter who you are, you can come onto the platform and be a part of the community and benefit in this way collectively. Um, but when we first developed it, it was absolutely to ensure that at least from the get-go, it would be inclusive of a millennial women. Well, excellent. Well, Tiffany, this uh, conversation has been amazing to me. I'm, I'm so thrilled for all your success, everything you've been able to accomplish. I can't wait to see what you're going to do over the next 10 or 20 years. I'm sure you're just going to continue to set the world on fire. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you are you know, willing to put all this fantastic you know, hard work into trying to make uh, build a platform that just helps you know, everybody sort of live their authentic life and, and be the best that they can be both personally and professionally. So 
good on you. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have uh, gotten this opportunity to speak with you today. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Again, a huge admirer of your work as well. And it was so exciting to get to talk to you about all the various ways in which we are creating impact together. And um, I'm excited to continue following your work as well in the future. Yeah. And so for everybody listening, you know, the, the challenge for the day is just go out and be a mogul. So with that, uh, you know, thank you, Tiffany, again, for joining us on this podcast. And, and if everybody wants, anybody wants to sort of follow you, what's the best way to keep in touch with all these wonderful things you're doing? Absolutely. Feel free to sign up on Mogul at onmogul.com and follow me at my profile on mogul.com slash Tiffany dash fam, or else download our app Mogul. It's available on the app store now. So proud to say that when you Google or search for the Mogul app on the app store, we're the number one search result across each, therefore redefining that word across everywhere that you could search for and ultimately helping to redefine the word for the next generation of girls and women to know they can be moguls too. And so can you. Thank you. What an inspiration. Again, Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tiffany. Wow. What an inspiration. I hope you found that interview with Tiffany Pham just enlightening about how millennials look at work, how they look at education, how they look at their overall contribution to the world. It was just super inspiring. So her book, You Are a Mogul, is a must read for any of you who have uh, teenagers, kids growing up, any millennials in the household, have them take a, take a look at her work and, and participate in that platform. I think she's just really inspirational. And more than anything, she's just been um, so dedicated to this journey that she's been on uh, that she made a promise to her grandmother. So if this didn't make you feel like you didn't do anything today, but listen to this podcast, join the club. I just uh, want to you know, wake up tomorrow and, and be just inspired by her again. So I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the What's Next podcast with Tiffany Pham. It was really special for me. I hope it was as special for you. Please subscribe to the What's Next podcast. Leave a review if you enjoyed it, and I'll look forward to having you join me again next time. Have a great day.